0: And everyone, welcome back for our fifth episode of the special uh, mini series with the Nessa Group. Uh, I'm Anthony Verna. Chances are you already knew that by listening to this. Uh, with us, Jim Puerta, principal of the Nessa Group. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. And Barry on second principal of the <laughs> Nessa Group. How I'm are here you?
1: listening to all of this. All right.
0: <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that you are. Also, Will Jakes. How are you, Will? Very good. Justin Drapoti. How you doing, Anthony? Um, well, thank you. And the uh, well-dressed Scott Mountner. How you doing, Scott? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank All you. All right. And for Attorney Ethics, since you and I are a part of firms, what firm are you with as well? I'm with Harrington, Aqua, and Monk. All right. And, uh, of course, I'm the managing partner of Verna Law. Uh, but, again, chances are you knew that. All right, so today we're going to talk a little case study here. And Nesta Group had had a client, one that I'm familiar with as well, that uh, we won't mention it by name, but we will just say that their product is a curtain tieback. Uh, Jim, how would I do with describing the product? Perfect, I think. Okay. That's so the way I put it down, too. All right. The curtain tieback has a plush cover. Uh-huh. And on top of that plush cover, I would say is a plush figure as well. How, how am I doing? You're doing well. I mean, Good. I'm, I'm, it's Good. amazing. How well are
2: you doing? I'm just listening to you.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Jim. And Will's got the,
2: the, the product with him. Right now. I, no, 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 no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, the, the plush part of this, what makes it attractive is that it's in different animal shapes. Uh, again, how am I doing with describing I'm the doing, product? Doing very well. Okay. Then. So... Um, what were, uh, Jim, Barry, let, let's start with you two. This company, when you met them, was having problems. Can you describe, let's start here, a couple of the problems that this company was having? Oh, well, there,
1: there are a bunch of issues that are involved. I don't believe that they were staffed to carry on what they had. They're in business 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, I'm, I'm not sure, and um, basically, uh, they were evidently happy with where they were. Then they woke up and said, "Hey, you know, we got a problem."
0: Well, I, I think a lot of a lot of business owners are like that. You're you're in business for a while and it seems okay.
1: Well, that's a problem. They they had a couple. <laughs> that's a big problem there. You know, they go to their buddies and they talk to them and they know everything. And the problem is, evidently, they don't.
0: <laughs> All right. So, what what would be another problem?
1: Well, uh could be the problem of whether they make the product or the sample or whatever it is in-house or outhouse. It that, depends that, on getting
0: That sounds like a supply chain issue.
1: A supply chain issue. Yes.
0: Okay. All right. So, let's 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 start let's start here. Um when you say that the company for was in existence for 10 to 15 years, but not exactly where the business owners wanted. Uh, you're talking re- revenue? Am I? Yes. They were
1: short on revenue. It was okay. a problem.
0: So let's start here. Was there a sharp decline in, in the revenue or was it just the revenue wasn't good enough?
1: I think they felt that it was comfortable with their been in business and the revenue amount where they're at. And I think that they ran into a problem uh and, and I don't know what uh, it might be. Okay. Uh, and they didn't deal with it. Sure. So
0: um, what are, uh, and, and Jim, if you'd like to jump in, go ahead. Sure. What are some of the, the, the items that you look at when a company like this has revenue problems? Well,
2: uh, from our standpoint, when we looked at it, it was... The revenue problems were amassing. I, I was, I, actually, I, Barry was, was the lead on that. But the revenue the problem meant they, they were starting to create burn rates that they couldn't match against those revenues. They were making decisions that were costing them money that they shouldn't cost them. And then they were, you know, they were backpedaling. It was like they were playing it uh, kind of not to lose, and they were trying to kind of you know, uh, burn out the clock, which was not going to help them any.
0: When, when you say that, that this company was creating a burn rate, I, I mean, you're in business for, for 15 years. How do you suddenly create a burn rate that, that, that appears, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but almost out of nowhere?
1: Well, that depends whether or not a product is an in-house product completely or they give it to somebody else to make it and ship it to them. And somebody has a problem. The trailer load doesn't get in. And they needed it because they were running right at the edge.
2: Yeah, and it could be, just just to add to that, because it's something that comes up quite frequently. I, I, I think a lot of companies, when they're making their projections and when they're looking what their financials are looking like, everybody has a propensity not to kind of consider those hours that they're putting in. It's almost like that's funny hours, and it's not important. And all of a sudden, as the growth starts, they have to fill those hours with other people. Now there's a cost, cost involved. Cost involved. It wasn't there before. Well, that's because you weren't creating some kind of an estimate what it would cost to replace you. So that's how I say creating a burn rate. all of a sudden you, you're you're doing things that you have to pay for which you were doing for free, thinking that that's the way it was going to go. And it's not going to go that way. It's going to eventually catch up to you and it caught up to these guys.
0: Uh, Barry, when you were talking about um, uh, the the staffing problem, is that is that what you're talking about? That they were short staffed, but then they had to hire.
1: Well, I think that they weren't selling that much, and they didn't have the money. Uh, possibly, maybe they did. Uh, maybe they needed to have problems with getting the product made outside, even inside. And I think that it's it. What Jim is saying is right. It it just creeps up on you.
0: Okay, so um, let let's talk a little bit about the supply chain. What frustrations existed in in that supply chain?
1: Oh well where do they get the supplies that they have to send it out to a factory to do
0: well my first my first thought would be it's everything's made in China so that would be my first thought that it's made in China is it not made in China
1: I didn't finish the sentence ah. <laughs> everybody, everybody knows that in what goes on but you get to the point sometimes in these companies where they just say you know we got, money that can carry us another week. What do we do? And that's a really big problem for a company.
0: Because you have to be thinking about the next sale or the next set of sales.
1: Well, whether or not you can pay your bills and uh, you're thrown out by the supplier, and that's not fun. And I think that they have to maybe periodically look at what's going on in the marketplace of their products to see whether or not that's making progress, And their marketing is very important. And some of them say, we can get some money. We can borrow more money.
0: I have some very specific thoughts about the marketing of this product, which we'll get to (laughs) later on. Um, Jim, did you see any particular, let's say, corporate governance issues, maybe the personalities? Oh, no, that that was also, it's a problem going in. I mean, most companies (laughs) that own
2: by family members, and that combination usually creates that problem. But one of the other things that uh, we talk about supply chain, I think it's a problem with these guys. And, And I think this is a genuine problem for everyone. I can tell you from experience that a lot of times you go out and you create your supply chain and you go find your manufacturing spot, and all of a sudden you find yourself falling in love with your manufacturer because you have a good rapport and you're on the phone and everything else, and you stop looking to find out, Am I getting the best price for what I'm doing? Are my margins wide enough? Am I getting below the line of P&L and I can't absorb it, which was what's happening to these guys? So they weren't really going out there and seeing if there was someone else that can produce the same thing and give them a wider gross margin. They weren't looking at that. They were married to this guy who was taking them under, and you know the manufacturers are going concerned. They're doing okay because they have many clients, but yet our client was the one that was getting hurt the most by it because it was sitting on very narrow margins and they they couldn't support it so
0: you had to take them to another factory that's what we would have recommended okay yes. uh, well let's let's talk about let's talk about the uh, niche for you and me which is the intellectual property um, I understand that you were able to file at least one patent on the product am
3: I correct on that no actually the the company came to us with uh, issued
0: patents okay so everything, everything is, is, was already set up for this company to protect uh, the product. Yeah, yeah, but that wasn't
3: the, the issue with the company. Uh, working with Barry, what we noticed was they weren't exploiting the very claims that were in, in the patent
0: itself. Okay, so let's go through that. They have, they have a protected product but they're not selling everything that that's claimed in in the in the patent not only are they not selling everything that or selling the features of what's claimed
3: in the patent there were potential infringers that were in the marketplace that were selling product that was very similar to theirs and they didn't use their ip asset ie the patent to at least go shut them down
0: so let's let's take that to the next step when you see a company that's not protecting their patents, not protecting all of the the claims that are in them. What's your recommendation to to moving into that next step? It, it depends on on, you know, again, with my my
3: colleagues, it depends on the business, you know, and and we try not to have people focus uh, so much uh, on the patents as the leading point of the business. But the business is the leading point of the business. So, I think so, we've said that in the yeah. first
0: episode of this series.
3: Yeah. Well, you know that mantra doesn't change because it's true. So, you know, when we uh, took a look at it, the idea was, well, where is the infringement coming from, and is it worth it to potentially go after these, uh, you know, the, what we believe to be infringers? Well, there's a cost to that. You know, there's no patent police. There's no one that goes and knocks on the door of an infringer and says, "Hey, you got to stop doing that." That's a cost that's borne by the company. And if they were already in trouble in terms of just meeting their business goals, the emphasis at the time was to continue to put cash toward that, and then we could go after potential infringers of the patent.
0: I I think that's an important point to to hammer home because I think a lot of people see uh, some kind of IP infringement lawsuit as instant cash and as a way to change their their, their business. And I think that, that you and I and, and really everybody at this table has enough experience to know that it's really the opposite that you have to put money and resources into protecting your IP before it's realized.
3: Let's, let's, let's put it this way a patent has zero value unless there's a product that's making money that it supports. So let's do a very simple math without going into the books of the client that uh, we're referring to. you know if it takes you know essentially six $600,000 to $1.2 million just to bring the case. You're making, you know, nothing uh, uh, near uh, that amount of money. And then the person that you're going after is probably making even less. So we're, the economics of uh, pursuing that, you know, just didn't make sense at that particular point in time. The economics and the business suggest let's figure out how to turn
0: ourselves around and make money with our own product first. So... What what suggestions did did you have in terms of of helping the revenue and selling the, selling the product better?
3: Well, actually, the patent claims came in. You know, were were very pertinent to that. Uh, uh, Barry had already determined that the company had essentially a cash flow problem, and so they needed to raise money. So looking. You know, out into the market in terms of a projection, not only at their own business operations, but just looking at the space in the marketplace that was provided by that claim, a repo's pro- uh, pro- uh uh, product, right? Okay. But, but one of the claims in the patent was that the repose product, you know, with a plush toy sitting on top, wasn't really the claim. The claim was the fact that there was a skeleton that was allowed in that claim that was put into that plush toy, which, you know, to that point had never been seen. And that's what they were not exploiting.
0: Understood. Understood completely. Justin Scott, let me bring bring you guys in for, for a hypothetical thought on a situation on, on this particular situation. One of my critiques of, of this particular company is that uh, the the plush side of this is are generic animals. And I think that they look nice and I think that, yes, uh, there are parents who would certainly buy this. But to me, I looked at, at that and I said, Where's Batman? where's Mm spider-man where's where where are the yankees where are the nationals you know you know where 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 are the the chiefs now that the chiefs just won the super bowl um justin would would you take my side of this and say that hey you guys need to be you guys need to be a licensee and i know that that has skews but you guys need to add a licensee to, to you need to be a licensee to add value to this It's hard for me to comment on that exactly, because it's really rooted in what
4: is their business model? What are they looking to accomplish and who is their target audience? Um, If their target audience, depending on the size of it, is willing to accept animal shapes, um, they could produce revenue and and make a successful business to what degree, I don't know. Um, The thing I like about intellectual property, and we've talked about this before, is it does give you opportunities in how you monetize. You can create a product as they did, or you can license it out. Uh, we joke about licensing as being mailbox money. It's a little bit easier mm-hmm. because building a product, building a brand is hard, is expensive, and it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Licensing, though there's some roadblocks potentially, and it is hard to value sometimes, it's a much smoother path, especially if you can go forward um, with some, some larger companies that could insulate you. Well, um, so otherwise it is hard to comment because it's really related in their business model.
0: Sure. No, I, under, I understand that, that completely. Scott, these guys were able to get uh, this company a, a, a little bit of cash. What are the things that you're looking for from a company like this to help them get c- the kinds of funding that they really truly need? Um,
5: for a company that's been around for 15 years, it's tough to get venture capital at at any stage right because at that point you've sort of exploited the market we would look at it from a raising equity point of view as the company having to do a pivot so what justin was just kind of talking about is do you go into licensing to create better revenue streams do you look at where you can Create new revenue models or something else because a company that's been around 15 years is just a mature company and it's there's not really going to be a, a big jump in the future in building out the business and and it sounds like there may have been a scalability problem with this company. Short of that, you know, you would do the typical things with any startup. You'd go to your venture financing or. Here you'd probably look more towards like a family office where someone might see the value in investing in the business and actually growing it and sort of playing long ball with the with the business versus, you know, typical startup model of let's get out of this in three to seven years. Sure.
4: Anthony, can I just follow up on of that? Of course you can. Um, maybe not relative to this specific client, but other more established businesses, especially those with products inventory, do have other financial instruments available to them outside of family offices and venture capitalists um, or offering equity. It could be asset back financing. It could be inventory financing, purchase order financing. It all depends on the nature of their business, but going back to what Will was saying is, And Jim was saying is you have to do the due diligence. Know it's out there. Contact the right advisors. uh, Have a consultative call with them. Know all of your options before you make a near-minded decision that's going to cost you money, time, and potentially collapse your business. Um, Don't ever pretend like you know everything because we've been doing this all collectively for a long time. And I think we'll all admit we don't know everything. I learned something from you guys and the other people I talk to every day.
3: Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Well, I provide even some credit to my esteemed colleagues here. So, uh, lest my uh, patent hat drags the floor right now and my ego gets busted right along with it, let me say this that. Uh, when we talk to clients like that and and they come to us and they go well i can make money licensing well yeah maybe you can but you know essentially what you're telling the person that would be your licensee is there is value here and you're negotiating from let's say behind the wagon if you haven't shown any traction in the market for the 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 very ip that you're trying to license to that company and so they look at you and go I can negotiate a deal that's actually much less, it's, it's, it's capital, it's money, it's venture, that's much less than what the asset may be worth. They don't want to put the time into actually showing that there is a market for the device. And then the patent restricts competitors from entering the market, thereby making it larger. right? Understood. And that's where your licensing dollars come from, not the other way around.
0: No, and I, and, I, and I understand understand that completely. I'm just thinking in a situation like this particular product, I look at that, and and to me that just seems like an obvious way to be a licensee. I know you gain skews by, by being a licensee, but it's the kind of product that seems to fit the way that I'm thinking. Like, put a comic book character on there. Put a sports figure on there. And uh, it, it you might actually even increase the range of ages for this particular product as well yeah just make sure a- add some clarity to that uh, Anthony let's go ahead and uh, go ahead and do that no no I want you to
3: because I just want to make sure people understand uh from from which directions uh, we're talking sure uh, from the patenting case and we're talking about licensing we're saying that the owner this company you know has a patent can they license that patent to others mm-hmm. what you're saying is
0: the real value in
3: even exploiting their own claims is to in license yes mm-hmm.
0: be a license yes be a be a, yep. a licensee as us, yeah. as us lawyers use, you know, yeah. the, the complex language <laughs> yeah. I know and understand. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Barry, what were some of the solutions that Nessa implemented for this particular client?
1: Well, we took on this company when they approached us, and we decided that we would work to turn them around. And to do that, uh, Will got involved a little bit in helping them on the marketing side finding out who's doing stuff and, and comparisons uh, The other thing is to ask them questions like so why aren't you selling more Very simple question very complex answer
0: make, make make sure that they have a self-examination of their own business
1: That's correct and you know what kind of relationships do they have in their industry are they good are they bad do they do good things mm-hmm. and at night, sit down, and sure, they would say, well, we're here, but how, to, how are we going to get out of here?
0: You, you know, you say, you talk about um, similar industries and, and, and their competitors and, and the relationships that they have with their competitors or, or the reputation that they have with their competitors. My former law partner and I met this company at Toy Fair. But yet, I don't know that I would consider this product a toy. What do you think, Jim? I I don't I never saw it as a toy. <laughs> exactly, it's not something I was going to take off the curtain and play with it. Okay, right. It was something that was decorative. I didn't. Yeah, you know. it probably belonged more more to home furnishing.
2: Show. That's why I'm I'm in agreement with you about the idea of, of sports figures and, and going to the NFL or the NBA and selling that kind of um, ability to have these things so you can hang in your room to hold
0: your curtains back. I think that would a the way to go. I mean, I've met a lot of business owners who, when I talk to them about that kind of, of setup, they really get afraid about minimum minimums, you know, minimum purchases, minimum sales. They get really afraid of having many SKUs and uh, you, you know how are we going to you know how are we going to keep track of of twenty eight you know new products, boom that have to get introduced like that? And the first answer is. It's usually not 28. A lot of sports leagues work with, uh, work with small businesses and say, look, we'll do like a little regional test. So, you know, it's four or five teams, pick a region, take four or five teams, and then this way we can ramp up as time goes on.
2: Yeah. I, I think one of the things, if I might just mm-hmm. add uh, to your question about what we do or what we did or what they did for the client, I, I think the concept that we always get in mind because of the fact that the obvious thing is that we bring – such a level of expertise in so many different disciplines that we provide the material for our clients to think through what they haven't thought through in the past. For example, most clients that I deal with, they're so focused on one thing and one thing only that while the buildings are falling down around them, they're still <laughs> focusing. I'm saying, I think you better run because that building's is coming down next, is heading our way. Our job is to really say, give us the picture of your company, Sit down and talk to us, and then we're gonna see what we can find for you, and we're gonna give you some direction that you might or might not take as a positive recommendation.
0: But they don't do that without people like us. No, I, I, I understand that completely and 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 I agree with you completely. I think we all agree with 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 the statement like like that.
3: No, let's kick that football just a little bit. Go ahead. Because you guys mentioned something. And in, in what you said was, I went and I saw these guys at Toy Fair and I didn't consider this thing to be a toy. Well, as we sat around and we spoke about this particular item that they were selling, yeah, it was home decor. And Barry and I looked at three different sectors in which this toy could be placed and how it would be channeled to the market based on the amount of money that they had and where they needed to be in order to get the product position. With that said, what we noticed was that it was no different than Jennifer Toffler's toy, Pillow Pets. Yeah, it has a dual purpose. Yeah, it was a drapery. It was for reposing, you know, curtains in the home of a child, in the room of a child. However, that child, when they went off to school, you know, when the curtains are closed, could pull the toy off of the of, of the curtain and actually still play with it as a plush toy. So it had dual markets. Okay. And and what the company was not doing was exploiting the places where those dual uh type of products
0: would be sold. I, I think that's an I think that's a very important thought because to tie this into the rest of our miniseries, the first episode that we talked about was what does it take for a business to work with a business consultancy and what are the, the kinds of, of expectations that a business has when working with a business consultancy? And I think that's very important right there. Gentlemen, we are out of time for episode number five in our special miniseries. Thank you so much, Jim. Jim. As always, you're going to tell everybody how to find the Nessa Group online. Sure, that's easy enough.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: if you have a
0: computer
2: knowledge, uh, our, our URL is www.thenesagroup.com. Uh, and there uh, are many opportunities there for you to get a hold of us and tell us what you're
0: looking for. And we'll certainly we'll get back to you right away. All right. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back with episode six.